It's all so typical, isn't it? It's all so typical. In my house, there are lots of typical things that dad does. Most of them involve losing things. Where's my keys? Typical dad. Where's my shoes? Typical dad. Where's my phone? Pretty typical of dad. Has anyone seen my book? Typical dad. These habits that we have, we call them typical, right? Because we are creatures of habit, we are typical beings. And once you get to know someone's habits, once you get to know their general way of being, you can kind of predict what's going to happen. You can kind of predict what they're going to say to you. You can kind of predict how they're going to react to this or to that or to the other thing. You can kind of predict that tomorrow morning when I leave for work, I'm going to say, has anyone seen my keys? It's all very typical. And if that's true about us who are so susceptible to change, if that's true about us who must be always changing, it's even more true about God who is Permanent. It is more true about God whose character never changes. He is the same yesterday, today, and forever. He is the father of lights in whom there is no variation, no shadow of change. And so God does things very typically. And it's wonderful to get to know God's character. It's wonderful to get to know how he kind of, in a sense, behaves. How he's going to react to this or to that or to the other thing. It's wonderful to get to know God's typical ways. The flood does that for us. It shows us God's typical way of dealing with sin. It shows us this typical way that our Lord wants to wash away sin, not just a little bit. He doesn't just want to brush a crumb off the sleeve, but we learn in the flood how God wants to blot it out, how he wants to completely annihilate it, how he wants to eradicate it entirely. That's typical of our God. The Bible talks about God as being typical. It talks about things in the Old Testament as being typical of things in the New Testament. So when you get to the book of 1 Peter, Peter will write that that the flood is a type. The flood is typical of baptism. I want you to think about that tonight. That when God sent a flood of waters on the earth, what was he doing? He was baptizing the world. And when we bring our children, or anyone for that matter, to this font to baptize them, what are we doing to them? We're flooding them. We're flooding out the sin that is in their lives. We are opening up the windows of heaven and letting the great deeps burst forth to prevail over them. The flood is baptism, and every baptism is a little flood. I want you to think about that tonight. The flood is a type of baptism. Another way that the New Testament talks about Old Testament things as being typical is in these terms. The things of the Old Testament are like shadows, right? If you look over here, you can see the shadow of my hand on the wall. You can see the outline. Well, in the New Testament, the reality comes in. So why pay attention to the shadow anymore? Well, because it's still true to this day that sometimes we forget Sometimes we forget, and looking at the shadow of the Old Testament helps us remember things that we really ought to know better. So I want you to think about the shadow of the flood today and how it teaches us to view sin. So often we think of sin as kind of a small little hiccup, right? A mistake, a little blemish here, a little blemish there, a stray thought here, a stray word there. 
But what we see in the flood, what the flood shows us in a shadowy form, is the reality, the depth of sin. And to get us to think about that tonight, I want you to think of two different kinds of stains you might get on your shirt, right? It might happen that in the course of eating tonight, you had a little bit of a stray piece of food flake off from the corner of your mouth and kind of fall down onto your shirt. Maybe a crumb from the bread or a crumb from the cracker, you noticed it on your sleeve. If you have that kind of a blemish on your clothing, you can just brush it off, right? No big deal. It doesn't get down deep into the clothing, and you can just wipe it off. But suppose, as some of you like to do, you're chewing on a pen during church. And suppose that all of a sudden you realize that you bit down a lot harder than you thought that you had, and you've got ink coming down your chin, and all of a sudden you see it pouring down on your shirt. Now you've got a problem, right? No matter how much you brush it off, you're only making things worse. What do you need? You need water, and you need agitation. You need a washing machine, and you need it fast. You gotta take that shirt home, you gotta take it off, you gotta throw it in, you gotta put it on, spin cycle as high as you can, and put all the detergent in with it. The deeper the blemish, the deeper the blemish, you see the point? The more water you need to blot it out. What does the flood show us about sin? Is it the kind of thing that can just be brushed off of the sleeve, or does it need the spin cycle? You heard how the Lord sent waters, and not just a little bit of water. He wasn't just hosing off the surface. You heard how the Lord God caused the the windows of the heavens to be open and the great fountains of the deep to burst forth. Here you should see rightly what sin is. Sin is not a minor blemish, a little thing that you might do here or there that doesn't really affect anyone all that much. Sin is a deep corruption. And when the heart goes wrong, everything goes wrong. So when sin wells up inside of us, it can't be contained. It's like an ink stain pouring out everywhere. When the heart is sinful, so is the mind. And when the heart is sinful, so is the hand. And when the heart is sinful, so is the foot and the tongue and the ear and the eye and everything involved. And in the days of Noah, that's what happened. The whole world became utterly and completely sinful and corrupt. And it is so typical of God to deal with sin. He doesn't brush it off like a crumb. He doesn't sweep it under the rug. He doesn't pretend like it's not there. He floods the thing. He floods it completely and entirely. When we look at the flood, we see what is so typical of our Lord, which is to not ignore our sin, but to actually deal with it. God doesn't want to overlook sin. He wants to deal with it. God doesn't want to pretend like sin isn't a real thing or like it's not really as bad as it is, but he wants to actually deal with it. And so in the fullness of time, he didn't just send floodwaters, but he sent his son, Jesus Christ, to absorb into himself our sins, to take upon himself our sin, and to take upon himself not the flood of water, but the flood of God's wrath poured out on sin. Now, we might protest, right? This is what rebels always do. They protest the punishment. The punishment doesn't fit the crime, says the rebel. You're being too severe. You're being too harsh. It's not really that bad, is it? So Cain said to the Lord in the garden. Remember what Cain said after he murdered his brother? 
My punishment is worse than I can bear. God's punishments are not too severe. They are always just right. An eye for an eye, a tooth for a tooth. The Lord God punishes sin how it ought to be punished, by destroying it completely in the flood, and even more by destroying it completely in the cross of his son, Jesus Christ. In the flood, we see God's typical way of dealing with sin, which is to actually take care of the problem. And in the cross of Jesus, we see, we see what our Lord, what length our Lord will go to, to get rid of sin entirely. The flood is typical of how God wants to deal with sin, and it is typical of baptism. For in the waters of holy baptism, God pours out on you. He pours out on you his saving water so that your sins aren't just brushed away, so that your sins aren't just swept under a rug, but so that your sins would be drowned and die in the waters of holy baptism. Here again, how it described how high that water rose at the flood. It said that the waters prevailed, 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 and prevailed so mightily that they made the high mountains look like tiny little hills, submerged them so completely in the water. This is how we must think of what baptism does in our lives. Baptism doesn't just get you wet a little bit. Even if it's just one little sprinkle or two little sprinkles or three little sprinkles, that water has the power. That water has all the power that the Lord God unleashed on the world in the flood. And it has that power to drown sin out of your life. So consider sin drowned. Consider it good and dead. Consider it good and gone. Consider it 15 cubits deep in the waters of God's redeeming love. Because if you don't, If you don't, you know what will happen. You'll go back to it again and again and again. We're creatures of habit, after all. It is so typical of us to go back again and again and again, to return again and again and again to those things that we know our Lord has drowned. Let them drown. Let them die. Let the mountains be covered with water. Let your sins be completely consumed and annihilated. Let them be to you as good and dead as the world that was before the flood. That's how Noah considered the old world. There was no going back. There was only going forward. And so must you consider your life after baptism. There is no going back for us. There is no return to old familiar ways. There is new habits to be begun. There is a new life that is to start. There are new types. There is something new that is to become typical of you. And that is to handle your life, to handle yourself, to handle everything about yourself in a new way, the way that Jesus would direct you to. Baptism is so typical of our Lord The flood was typical of how he wanted to deal with sin, and baptism is now how our Father wants to deal with our sins. At every baptism, we have this spelled out very nicely for us in a great prayer that I want to read to you. On your way out this evening, you can see down in our breezeway that art picture. You've seen it every week, I'm sure. There's the ark, there's Jesus, there's the people of Israel crossing the Red Sea. Well, if you pause long enough to read what's printed out there, you'll read this prayer. It's called the Flood Prayer. Almighty and eternal God, according to your strict judgment, you condemned the unbelieving world through the flood. And yet, according to your great mercy, you preserved believing Noah and his family, eight souls in all. We pray that you would behold 
us according to your boundless mercy and bless us with true faith by the Holy Spirit that through this saving flood, through this saving flood, all sin in us which has been inherited and which we ourselves have committed since would be drowned and die. Grant that we would be kept safe and secure in the holy ark of the Christian church, being separated from the multitude of unbelievers and serving your names at all times with a fervent spirit. What was so typical of our Lord long ago in the flood is still typical of who he is and how he deals with his sin. So rejoice in your baptism. Learn to think of sin as drowned and dead, covered over in the waters of holy baptism, and let it lie down there at the bottom of the earth. Let it sink. Let it not rise up again. And if it does, if it does, then call out to God who sent those flood waters long ago and let him pour his mercy out on you again and again and again. For with the Lord, there is always more mercy. With the Lord, it is so typical to forgive that he is willing to do it again and again and again until all sin in you is drowned and dead at the bottom of the ocean. To Christ be the glory now and always. Amen.